of the Holy Spirit to worship the Lord. But I have this morning some good news for you. Some good news. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. It's a great chapter. It starts with good news and it ends with good news. And all throughout the chapter is just loaded with good news. It identifies and brings attention to who we are and the frailty that we have in ourselves. But it also points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power and the sovereignty that he has and how that he holds us in his hand. And it starts off and it ends up with good news. It's loaded with good news. Isaiah chapter 40. I believe that God's people, so many, many, are struggling with a variety of challenges. You can listen to the prayer requests that are offered. You can talk to folks throughout the week. And you are made aware that there's a whole lot of heavy hearts. If you get an opportunity, I would encourage you to listen to Elder Bradley's messages. You can Google the Baptist Bible Hour. The last two messages have been titled... Let not your heart be troubled. Excellent messages for the time in which we're facing. I like how this chapter starts out. Isaiah is commissioned from God to deliver a message. And Isaiah didn't have to wonder about what the message was that he was to bring to the Lord's people. God told him what he wanted to deliver to them. And Isaiah shares it with us. I like how it starts out. It starts out with a really good word. Comfort. I like that. I like that word. I like things that are comforting, things that are pleasant. He starts out and he says, Isaiah, I'm calling you to deliver a message. And there's a purpose in it. The purpose of this message is to comfort the Lord's people. Lord's people had suffered a lot of affliction. They were in bondage. They were discouraged. They were overwhelmed. And so God put it on Isaiah's heart and told him what to say. And he says, I want you to bring a message of comfort to my people. It's interesting. He tells us who he directs the message to. He says, I want you to direct it to my people. Not everybody is going to have the same appreciation for the same message. It's only those, or I say only those, it's all of those whom God has touched their heart, whom God has quickened their spirit, whom God has made alive in Christ Jesus. They're going to have a hunger and a thirst after the things of God, and they're going to rejoice When they're given a message of comfort, he starts off and he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. So he tells him what the purpose of the message is. It's to encourage God's people. And then he tells them the content of the message, which is to help them. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. 
Speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem. Now, I, I, I know there's a lot of messages that we can hear out in the world today. But you're going to have to scan the web and scan the news diligently to find a message that's going to be comforting to you. Maybe if you have something that uh, a resource, you might tell me about it. But I, I just don't know many places that you can get a comforting message. But we ought to be able to come to the house of God and we should be encouraged by God's word. We may not be encouraged by the day in which we're living. We may not be encouraged by the times that we're in. We may not be encouraged in all the things that are around us, but we can be encouraged in God and in his word. And so here's what he says. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem. And then he starts out and he basically addresses our condition before God, the weight of sin that we carry, the burden of sin that we have, that we struggle with in our life. And he just begins to, he almost like uh, uh, Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the rest of the story. He almost gives us the rest of the story right here in the first and second verse, because he says, here's what you're going to tell them. He says, you uh, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and you cry unto her. I, I believe that that simply means there's a sense of diligence, a sense of urgency. He says, you tell them that their warfare is accomplished. Well, how is their warfare accomplished? Did they do such a great job fighting the warfare themselves that they have accomplished the warfare? That's not what he's saying. He says their warfare is accomplished and the accomplishment is by me. I'm the one that's accomplished the warfare. But he says, you tell them that their warfare is accomplished. And then he says, number two, you tell them that their iniquity is pardoned. He says, the warfare, the battles, the struggles is accomplished. The, the, uh, the security of heaven, the payment for sin, it's accomplished. Their iniquity is pardoned. Uh, I don't know but about you, but oftentimes uh, my iniquity is a waiting challenge for me. I look forward to the day that, that no longer do I deal with the temptations and struggles with sin, at least in my mind. And uh, Isaiah says right here, that God put in his heart to deliver the message that the warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity, that's not just some of the iniquity, that's all of our iniquity. He says that your iniquity is pardoned. What does that mean? You're pardoned by Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, your iniquity is pardoned. Well, now that's good news in itself. And then he says something else right here that I just really like. I'm so glad glad that he was inspired to write it this way. He says, you go tell God's people that they have received of the Lord's hand just barely enough to pay the price for their sin. No, that's not what he says. He says, you go tell the Lord's people that they have received of the Lord of Christ. They have received double for all their sins. So it's not a weight and scales balance that your good works outweigh your bad works. There's no way the scale is totally tipped, totally against us. But even if the scale is totally tipped, 100%, if it's weighted down solely with bad works, he says that all of our sins, 
That's our entire life of sin. He said, all of our sins have been paid for by Christ. And he said, I didn't just make a payment for your sin. I paid it in full. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all. Well, what Isaiah is telling us right here is not only did Jesus pay it all, he paid it all and then he paid it in double. So there's just no way that your sins can ever be held to your charge because it's been paid for by Christ in full. And then he paid for it again. He paid double for your sins. Well, that just puts you in a real good position. It really does. If we went home right now, that's good news for us to take home with us right now to know that your sins, my sins have been paid for in full and paid in double. Isaiah says, you go and share with people that are struggling and hurting, that are in bondage, that can't see any hope. You go and tell them a comforting message and you tell them that their sins have been paid for and they've been paid for twice. Now, that's a pretty good condition to be in. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way, referring to John in the coming of Christ. We'll just read through this because it's, it's a great chapter. Real good, real good lessons in here. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. This is, this is some of the work that Christ does even in our lives, in our own individual lives. I, this is one way that I believe it can be interpreted. Every valley shall be exalted. All of us in our own lives, we have some pretty deep valleys. We have some pretty big mountains. We have some mountains that seem like that they're too tall to overcome. Too tall to handle, too tall to deal with. We have some valleys that are so low that we get so discouraged that what is it that keeps us continuing on? He tells us in this chapter. He basically says that John is to bring the message to those that are struggling. The Jews and the Gentiles alike. And he says... That with this message, that it's going to have such an impact upon God's people that those low, low, low times in your life are going to be raised up some. And those great big mountains that you can't imagine how you're going to face and overcome, those mountains are going to come down. That because of Jesus Christ, your low lows are coming up and those insurmountable mountains that you have are going to come down. And he says he's going to do it in such a way that God is glorified. Look what he says. Every valley shall be exalted, raised up. Every mountain shall be made low. And he says, and the crooked shall be made straight. Now that's interesting. Only the Lord can do that. Take something crooked and make it straight. 
we can take something straight and make it crooked, but it's only the Lord that can take something crooked and make it straight. And he says, he's going to do that. He said, oh, and by the way, he said he's going to make the rough places plain. Got some rough places in your life, some challenges in your life that are rough. He's able to plane those down and make them smooth. Look what he says. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You see, sometimes, at least in my life, when I have a real deep valley or a real high mountain, sometimes I'll just pray that God will remove that from me. But God doesn't always remove the, the, the mountains and he doesn't always remove the valleys. And he says that he works it in such a fashion that the reason he does it the way that he does is he wants it known that his glory is to show forth and to be appeared. He says the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So really and truly, our greatest desire and our greatest prayer should be not that the Lord would remove the valleys or remove the mountains. But our greatest desire and prayer should be is that, Lord, when we're in the middle, when we're going through the fire, help us to know that that fourth person in the fire is actually Christ. And he says we should be desiring that when we're going through these challenges, not that God would necessarily remove them from us, but that he would be glorified. Now, there's folks that that stand out. Uh, I know there's at least a few of you here that will remember Sister Sister uh, Edna Dolan. Several of you probably remember Sister Edna Dolan. Dear old sister. That sister had, had as many trials as anybody that I've ever known. She lived to be, I think, 99 years old. She had buried all three of her children. She started burying her grandchildren. She outlived her grandchildren. She raised, you remember? Wasn't her grandchildren. She was raising her two great-grandchildren. She had lots of challenges in her life. Ellen, you remember Sister Dolan, I imagine. She had a lot of challenges in her life. But I tell you, that old sister never, ever complained. If you ever talked to Sister Dolan, she was always telling you how good the Lord was to her. The blessings that she had had of the Lord. She was praising God and she did it until the Lord took her home. She was given to that. Sister Dolan was honoring God in the midst of her challenges, in the midst of her trials, in the midst of her difficulties. She was still praising God. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? Here's almost an interaction between the Lord and Isaiah here. And it says, Isaiah said, well, what, what, what is the message that I'm going to deliver? And he says, well, here's something that you need to remind them of. He says, you remind them that all flesh, that means it's talking about us. 
He, he talks about our flesh and he talks about our goodliness here. And he gives a comparison. He says, you remind them that all flesh is grass. Now, that doesn't really help our egos that much to know that, that, that our flesh is as, as grass. And then he tells us how frail that we really are. He says, all flesh is grass and all goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. So he's basically saying, don't put much stock in your own self. Don't put much stock in your goodliness. Because he says, your flesh is just like the grass of the field. It's there one day and it's gone the next. It's tossed to and fro. Your goodliness is like the flower of the field. It may rise up and be a beautiful flower, but it just a, a, a wind or a storm or uh, just time itself causes it to, to fade and go away. And here's what he says. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth because the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. He's, he's basically reminding us of our frailty. When I first came among the Primitive Baptist, I did not understand depravity. I didn't understand completely the doctrines of grace. I didn't understand election. I didn't understand many of the things that, I, that are precious to me now. And when I began to understand depravity, that we are not sufficient in ourselves and we're actually sinful, then I understood more and more about Christ and who he was and what he had done for me. And I remember when I first used to, when I started out speaking, much of the time that, that I would speak would be about depravity. Maybe it was because I could relate to it better, or maybe it was because when I realized that we were depraved, I appreciated more what Christ had done for me. Well, he says right here, he says, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth. So I can almost relate, relate it this way. I, I love the spring, summer, and fall. Winters are okay, but I love the spring, summer, and fall. The fall is one of my favorite times. I just enjoy driving around and looking at the trees when the leaves have turned and they're absolutely beautiful upon the trees. And you think that it's going to last like that for days or weeks. And then you have a windstorm, you have a rainstorm, and you get up the next day and it's all gone. Well, he's saying that the grass and the flowers are like that. Very, very volatile. And he says, that's how we are. But he says, knowing that this is how we are, I'm going to tell you some things that will help you. He's already told us about Christ. Now he's going to tell us about his word. He says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But he says, the word of our God shall stand forever. So he said, you have sufficiency in Christ and you also have encouragement and sufficiency in the word. And he says, and the word, you may be here, be very temporal, but the word of God stands forever. It doesn't change. I'm thankful that the same message that, that Elder Thompson preached in the 30s here at Mount Carmel feeds our souls today. I'm thankful the message of our forefathers, the message of Jesus Christ and the message of the Apostle Paul. The very same message 
blesses the hearts and feeds the souls of God's people today. And just because it appears that times are changing, the message doesn't change. It stands forever. He says, O Zion, that bring us good tidings. Zion is referred to as the Lord's people, his church, his kingdom. O Zion, that bring us good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah. So here he says, I want you to bring an encouraging message to Zion, to God's people. And I want you to cry aloud that they're not to be afraid. So many people are going around with fear. I'm sure that every single one of us experience at different points in our life. It it hits me usually in the nighttime more than the daytime. But but folks are uh, overcome with fear. And he says, don't be overcome with fear. He says, be not afraid. And he says, say to the cities of Judah, you tell the Lord's people. He says, one of the one of the ways that you battle fear itself is you point the Lord's people to the Lord. He says, you tell the Lord's people, behold your God. It's hard to be fearful when you're looking to the Lord. It's hard to be fearful when you're leaning on the Lord. Doesn't matter what's going on around us. If we can look to the Lord, if we can lean on the Lord, that helps us through the faith that God gives us to overcome fear in our life. We can we can actually uh, persevere. We can go forward. We can be uh, uh, we can be victorious through the Lord, but not through ourselves. So he says, you tell the people, you tell them to change their focus and make sure that their focus is upon the Lord. He says, behold your God. And he says it, he says it multiple times here. And when, when uh, the scriptures reiterate something back to back, at least for me, when the scriptures uh, repeat something and, and reiterate it back to back, I think it means that there's a special emphasis. Take heart. Take courage. He says it twice right here. Behold your God. Behold the Lord. He says he will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule with him. Behold, his reward shall be with him and his work before him. Basically, he's saying that he has power and he has authority He has the strength. He has everything that it takes. So he says, you go forward in the battle that you're engaged in, but you look to the Lord. Then he says here, he talks about his power, his authority, his strength. And then he comes down and just in the very next verse, he talks about his compassion. He says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather lambs with his arm and he shall carry them in his bosom and he shall gently lead those that are young. Now, that to me shows that not only is he powerful in his strength and might, that he's sovereign, but that he's also compassionate. 
as he would lead a child, as he would care for a child. He said, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. Then he says, just in case, just in case we think that things are spiraling out of control. He reminds us that it's not out of control. Look what he says. He says, he hath measured, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. He begins to put it in perspective. You think of all the waters that are in the oceans around. And he says, he's just got it in the palm of his hand. He says, it's a pretty small thing to God as far as the magnitude of who he is. He says he's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. He's meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. He basically says that he knows all about it. He should. He created it. And he not only created it, but he holds it all in place. It goes on down. And it says that he knows the stars, not only the number of the stars, but it says he knows the, the stars and he calleth them by name. Now, we can't even do that, but God does. He created the stars. He knows where they are. He calls them by name. He says, who hath directed the spirit of God or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel and instructed? Who instructed him? Who taught him the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? He says, God's got it in this earth. He's got the ocean. He's got the mountains. He's got it all in the palm of his hand. And he says, by the way, all these nations that think they have all this power and that they're really something and that they have all this big business. Look how he puts it in perspective. He says, behold, the nations in the sight of God, in the sight of who he is. He says, all the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Well, that just sort of puts it in perspective. He says, and there and as far as how much they're counted, he says, And they are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles or islands as a very little thing. And Lebanon, who was known for uh, all the forest and the trees, it says it's not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. He says, in fact, all nations before him are as nothing. In fact, he says... I don't know how this could be, but this is what it says. He says, all nations before him are as nothing. And then he says that they are counted to him as less than nothing. Now, how could it be less than nothing? I mean, if you've got nothing and in the eyes of God, it says that it's counted to him as less than nothing. So he's he's basically he's basically laying the groundwork right here to say. That we have a God in heaven that he's totally in control. He's totally in charge. There's nothing happening, nothing going on. 
It's out of his ability, his control. He's not surprised. He's not hindered. He's not challenged by anything that's going on. He said, in fact, all of it together is counted as nothing and as less than nothing. So he says, who will you compare God to? And what likeness will you compare him? The workman melteth a graven image. He talks about those that would. I'm, I'm going to skip on down. It's, it's good stuff. I encourage you to read. But for time's sake, I want to want to get to the bottom of this. He talks about folks making graven images to worship God. And he talks about how ridiculous that it is that they cover it with gold. But inside it would be impure metals. And then he says that they take chains to either tie them down so somebody won't steal them or to prop them up so they won't fall over. And he says, and we make idols to worship God. He said, we can't contain God with idols. He says, he says, have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He says, it is he that setteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants there are as grasshoppers and that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. He basically just continues to put it in perspective. How much larger and more powerful that he is than what we see when we're looking around. It ought, I think, the purpose of it, one of the purposes It ought to keep us from being overcome with anxiety. To realize some of these folks that think they're so big in the eyes of God is not only nothing, but it's less than nothing. And that it's not happening. It's not a surprise to God. And it's not out of his control. And that he is going to somehow work it. May not be how we want it. But he's going to work it in such a way that he's going to be glorified. Mm -hmm. That at the end of the day, he'll be glorified. You see, he writes the last chapter of what's going on. In between as well, but definitely he writes the last chapter. It's he that setteth upon the circle of the earth and all the inhabitants are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in that maketh the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Their stock shall not take root in the earth and he shall blow upon them and they shall wither and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Folks that really think maybe there's somebody or they have a lot of influence. He says right here, he says they're not going to take root upon the earth. They may be here today, gone tomorrow. He'll blow as a wind and they'll be as the stubble taken away. He says again, to whom will you liken me? Or whom shall be my equal, saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, before he said, Behold, lift up your eyes on high. 
Behold, who hath created these things and bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them by names, by the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power and not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God? So he's actually, I believe right here, Isaiah is somewhat rebuking us in, 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 in reminding us here. The people are saying their way seems to be hid from the Lord. Lord doesn't know what I'm going through. The Lord doesn't know what I'm dealing with. The Lord doesn't know what my struggle is. Maybe the Lord doesn't care what I'm dealing with right now. And so they say, it seems like our ways hidden from the Lord. If the Lord knew about what we're dealing with, surely he would intervene. And they said, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. God doesn't know. God doesn't care. And Isaiah reminds him, he says, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he fainteth not. Neither is he weary and there is no searching of his understanding. He says, don't be don't be sold the lie that God doesn't know and that God doesn't care or that God is too big for you or you're too small for him. God knows God cares. And he says he doesn't faint. He doesn't become weary. He is not lacking understanding. He knows everything that we're dealing with, no matter how low the valley, no matter how high the mountain. It's not a surprise to him. And he doesn't get weary of you asking. And then this is where I really like the last three verses. They're so good. They're so good right here. He says. He giveth power. To them that faint. Now, to me, that just simply means in a modern day term, I'm ready to pitch in the towel. You ever been there? When you looked around that everything was so overwhelming that you thought, I cannot see a way around it. And I certainly can't see a way through it. I can't see a way over it. I might as well just give up and pitch in the towel. Brother Bradley preached a message years ago. I shared this with some of maybe Brother Danny and some others, but the title of the message, just a real simple title on the message. There's no place to quit. Great message of encouragement. Here's what keeps you from quitting. He giveth power to those that are ready to faint. When we get to the point that we think we're just about ready to give up, he's right there to give us power, to hold us up. He says he gives power to those that are about ready to faint. And he says, and I've got some more good news for you. That he says, those that have no 
might. I, I, I think that means unction, desire, drive. You just feel like that you just you just want to pull the covers up over your head and and and, and close the blinds and 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 you just can't see a way out. And and he says, for those that have no might, he says he's going to increase their strength. So he's told us right here, he says, those that are going to faint, he says, I give them power to overcome that. And he says, those that have no mind, he says, I'm giving them strength that will help them continue on. You see, I can't tell you with any confidence to reach down and pull up your bootstraps and face these challenges and just plow through it. Because you're going to get real discouraged. But I can tell you that Jesus Christ has promised that he's going to give you power and he's going to give you strength and he'll be with you. Look what he says. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. Now that, that, uh, that's, that's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised that that is the way that they made the point, but this is the way I understand it. It's rare that a, a, a per- person of youth would faint and be weary. Maybe rare that a young man would utterly fall. I mean, they're full of energy and strength and vision and zeal. But it's possible. But he says, and this is the charge that he gives us right here. Remember, he started out this chapter. You speak comfortably to my people. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Speak ye comfortably unto her, crying to her that her warfare is accomplished. And then he ends it up this way. But they, and that they is all of us right here. That they is all the folks gathered here at Mount Carmel this morning. The they that he's talking about right there are the Lord's people. They get weary along the way. He says, but they that wait upon the Lord. He said, he, the Lord, is going to renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now I have to tell you. I don't know about you. But sometimes that's hard to imagine. It is. I'd just be happy persevering steadily along. But he says that he's going to give you strength that you can mount up with wings as eagles. You know what? This is what I think that means. This is how I interpret it. You may have a, a better interpretation. I don't think it means that we literally are going to fly like eagles. But you know, one of the symbols that we can gather from this is that the eagle is far above all the problems and challenges and difficulties that are going on below. All those struggles. They're even above not only the valleys, they're above the mountaintops. 
And I believe what he's saying right here is that he can give us enough strength that we can just persevere on as if we're above those things. Not that they're not going to happen, but that we can see it from above. You see, part of the problem that we have, I think, is that we only see things from our perspective at this level. But the Lord and Jesus Christ sees it from above. And when he says that we're going to mount up with wings as eagles, I believe that he's going to give us a view. I think he's going to give us an eagle's view of what we're dealing with right here. And you know that that puts it all in perspective. If we can see that our troubles and trials are just for a little season and they're very small compared to the big, big picture. And I think he blesses us to rise up in our mind and have an eagle's view. And this is what he says. I love this. Love this. And they that wait upon the Lord. He'll he'll renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. And he says, and they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and they're not going to faint. Because the Lord is our strength. I can't encourage you in anything else. I can't encourage you in anything other than the Lord. But I'm so glad to know that you can read God's word, which is going to endure forever. You can come to the Lord's house and you can be encouraged, not in yourself or in others or in all that's going on around us. But you can be encouraged in the Lord. May God bless you.